Hello guys, welcome to another episode of Lifestyle Architecture Lab. In this show, I talk about lifestyle design, financial freedom, and also dissect the process, behavior, and routines of the personalities who have designed a lifestyle of freedom for themselves. These guests range from artists, musicians, entrepreneurs, lifestyle coaches, investors, professional athletes, etc. These conversations dig deep into their stories to find out their thought process, tools, strategies and tricks that makes them tick. This is happening. Let me just do. Wow. This is Lifestyle Architecture Lab and I'm your host Himanshu Satsdeva. In this episode I'm talking to Monica Becerril Yugalde who is an ultra trail runner and head of marketing at univet.in. She's a Mexican immigrant who lived in the United States before moving to India. She's wife of my friend Amit who has also been on the podcast before. Monica has done multiple ultra races uh, ranging between 50 to 60 kilometers of distance and she has won the podium positions for many of these races. At the core she's a conscious human being and a vegan. In this episode uh, you'll learn about her story, how was it like to be an Mexican immigrant in the United States and how was it like to be in India living as a local. Now she is building a vegan brand along with Amit with their great values. This was like a treat to hear her story. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Monica Becerril Yugalde. Hey Monica, welcome to the show. Hi Himanshu, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, since i asked you to come on the podcast some time back uh, after that we spent some time together to catch up as even though we have known each other for few years now but there is a lot which has happened since we first met i think we first met at the vegan potluck at your house the potluck which you and amit arranged for the first time but later it didn't happen so can you give a little context about that and then we can move forward Yes, of course. Uh, yeah, that was like you said, uh, I think when we first met was at the vegan potluck that Amit and I hosted at our place. And I think that was around 5 years back if I recall or maybe even longer. Yeah. And I think that was at the point where veganism in India was just uh, starting and it was getting a little bit more mainstream than what it is now. Mhm. So it was uh it was a way for us to connect with other vegans in the Mumbai community. Yeah. And also uh a way to make new friends because I was I had only been here maybe a year or two since I had moved uh, yeah. from the US. So it was it was a great opportunity for me to make new friends and meet new people. And unfortunately it hasn't happened again. Mhm. Uh, <laughs> 
it's sad, uh, but we do see those fellow uh, friends that we met at the vegan potluck uh, whenever there's a vegan event or something. So we always end up catching up there, but maybe we'll have to host another one. Yeah, maybe soon. <laughs> I think... I think uh, the, all the people which, which came there, uh, it was so intellectual of a group and I, I, I miss those kind of conversations. So I think you or probably me or uh, another people in the group should have another potluck, potluck soon. <laughs> yes, most definitely. Yeah. I agree that it, you get some great conversations going with, with the group. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, as you are from Mexico uh, originally, and, and later on you have moved to US, uh, which we'll talk about later on in the podcast, uh, but uh, can you tell uh, how has your experience been in India, basically in Mumbai, as, as a US person who is a Mexican immigrant? Did you find language problems or any other problems which you are facing? Can you share your experience about that? Yes. So moving to India was definitely a big decision for me. However, I was uh, very excited because I always loved traveling and now moving to a different country. I had, a, like you said, I'm originally from Mexico. I was born there and then later on moved, uh, moved to the U.S. After moving here, of course, I did uh, face and still face a little bit of a language issue. I it is a little bit of my fault because I haven't made much of an effort to learn the language. I haven't had any tutoring or ha have gone to any classes. But whatever words I know, um, they're, you know, everyday words that I hear over and over. So I, I end up picking those up. And um, other than a language barrier, which I face, and uh, I, I try not to uh, let it, prohibited from me um, doing things. Um, I still, you know, I take the rickshaw by myself to work every now and then when Ahmed is not going to office, um, mm -hmm. travel by, you know, cab or stuff like that. I travel alone. Most everybody speaks English or can, I can get by. So I haven't felt, uh, you know, a strong need, uh, but de mm -hmm. it would definitely be, something that would be a little bit more like, for example, the maids that come to our house, I'm unable to have a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, you know, I would like, uh, since I've been seeing them for the last six years, you know, I, I would like to know a little bit more about them, about their family, what they do outside of, you know, their job when they come to my house. Um, so yeah. I like to make that connection with people. Um, uh, other difficulties that I have faced, uh, you know, one thing that I guess it's uh, it's a, on the positive end from me is that because I sort of blend in, because mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, my skin color is uh, not uh, as light as other people like you see Europeans or other tourists around. Yeah, of course. Right away they stand out. And here I've been able to sort of... Uh, you know, blend in with everybody. And yes, they, they do know kind of when they look at me or sometimes they do, they, they think I'm Indian. So that's been, that's been nice. That's something that maybe like uh, another brought up in the U S um, growing up there, you know, I was usually the either one out of two uh, Latinos or uh, students of color in the classroom. So I was the one who always stood out. Oh, here I haven't experienced that. And it's been, you know, 
it's nice to feel like you're welcomed and you're not, you don't have to worry about, you know, standing out. I, I haven't, um, of course, right away after I open my mouth and I try to speak, they know that I'm not, to, <laughs> yeah. I'm not from here. Yeah, I think I think uh, the first time I saw you was uh, in the autism run uh, for the first time or second time when it happened. Uh, Sayuri holds it every year, I think. Yeah. The first time I saw you there and believe me, I also uh, didn't know you were Mexican. I thought you were Indian. Uh, so <laughs> I agree with the point uh, that you mix up very well. Uh, but of course, yeah, as, as you are actually Mexican, so... People get to know immediately as soon as you try to make a conversation. And another thing is, as you mentioned, uh, for the maids in India, like even even me being an Indian, I cannot uh, hold a conversation with the maids because they are like localites and usually speaking Marathi, which I understand and I can speak. But sometimes it's very, very, uh, very, very local uh, words which they use. So even I can, I can, uh, even I struggle uh, with that uh, a lot of times. So I, I can understand your pain very well. Yeah. Um, th- yeah, that's, that's another very unique part of India is that uh, there are so many languages. And like you're yeah. saying, like you're Indian, but because you were bro- born and brought up in a different part of India, you don't speak the local language from here, which a lot of the, um, the help speak. And yeah, uh, yeah so it, it's just a very unique and very interesting uh, part of India. And it, uh, it's very, it, that's what makes India so rich. Yeah, I think uh, it, even if it is diversified in languages and cultures, but still I think the people in India are very much compassionate and kind and they, they can like gel up with other culture people very easily. That is what my experience have been like in India as uh, till 30 years of my life. I would uh, completely agree with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everybody will try to help you even, even though maybe they don't know the right (laughs) answer. They'll try to help. I've I've noticed that as well. So yeah, everybody has been very welcoming and very uh, helpful whenever I've needed it. And um, I don't have Mm -hmm. like any complaints and, you know, I've, pretty much been um, very grateful for, for everyone, everyone who I've met in India. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, dialing back a little, uh, can you share more about your childhood in Mexico and then moving to the United States? I think there are a couple of stories which, which, which really intrigued me uh, when we were discussing uh, initially about the podcast. So can you tell more about that? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, definitely some great memories and uh, milestones that have made me who I am today and uh, have helped me along the way and made me stronger. Um, Yeah, so like you said, I was uh, born and raised in Mexico for the first part of my uh, childhood. I lived in a, so I come from a very small village where the majority of the people that live there are family. Um, so there are, it's made up of a, a few families and everybody knows each other. So everybody goes to the same preschool, the same kindergarten, um, elementary school, uh, high school. And then if you want to go on and continue your studies, then that's when you have to go on and move to a city or 
the nearby city or wherever you want to end up going for further studies. Those I have very fond memories of growing up in the village. You know, my parents had uh, chickens and uh, livestock, and uh, I remember running around and I was I felt like I was free because uh, you know I, we had a big yard. There wasn't any any fences or anything like that. We were just uh, free to run around uh, mm-hmm. and. Unfortunately, at the age of three, uh, I was playing outside with uh, my brother and my, I have four brothers and my elder brother at that time, um, it was just the two of us and we were playing outside and I ended up tripping and I dislocated my elbow. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. my mom at that time, she didn't know exactly what had happened, if I had a broken elbow or if I was dislocated. And it just so happened that my dad wasn't home. He was actually in the U.S. He had gone to the U.S. for a few months to work, and then he was going to come back. And so she was alone, and she ended up uh, going to uh, my aunt's house, who lived right next door. And she told her to take me to, uh, it's called Huesero in Spanish, so basically the bone guy. Uh, The bone guy, yeah. And he was supposed to fix me up. And she remembers, she, I think she took me a couple times there. And she's like, I would take you there. But every time he would touch your arm, you would just start screaming and you were in like pain. So um, then it just kind of clicked that, you know, maybe there's something more and this guy is really not helping. So she ended up going to the city that where one of her brothers lived. And she got a scolding by her brother telling her that, you know what, you know, you should never take her there to those type, to those types of people. You always need to go to a doctor first. Uh, so we ended up getting an x-ray and everything. And it sh- eventually it did show that I had a fractured um, elbow. Now, who knows if I actually fractured it at the time of the trip or if it was actually um, the guy in Wasero who ended up doing it. Uh, yeah. So... <laughs> So she went through a very uh, tough phase because she had to do this all by herself and she had two kids and then she also had to take care of, um, you know, our animals that we had. She had to feed them and make sure that everything was in order. So there was a lot of uh, things on her hands. And so at this time you were, you were, how old you were? I was three. Three. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So then later on when, uh, a year or so later, my parents, I guess my mom and dad had a conversation that, you know, my, my mom said, I can't be doing this anymore where you're, you leave me for a few months and then you come back because there's so much that's on my hands I can do. I can't do it all on my own. And I have two kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my dad was like, well, uh, if you want to go to the U.S., you know, it's not it's not like Mexico. You have to work over there. Here, I mean, you do work, but you work at home and you do the things around the house. Over there, you have to work for somebody. So she's like, you know, she was adventurous, I guess, or she just wanted her family to be together. And uh, at that time, my dad would go to the U.S. to make some extra money that would eventually help us, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, back home. So the year 1990 they decided to all migrate to the to the US and at that time my dad was the only one with a residence card or yeah. that who could uh, 
go to the U.S. legally. And unfortunately, my parents have tried for us to get visas, but we were not granted them. So they took the tough call of saying, okay, we're going to do this the uh, illegal way. Uh, illegal yes. way. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, they chose July 4th as the day for my for me, my elder brother, my mom to cross the border because wow. uh, that was the day that, you know, 4th of July is Independence Day in the U.S. Everybody's uh, partying. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. so my dad knew that, that at that time the surveillance was going to be a lot less than any other day. Right. Uh, so, yeah, we uh, ended up walking for so my dad was on the other side of the border waiting for us at a mcdonald's and we ended up climbing a small mountain and then heading down to the rio grande and crossing the uh, the river on a small uh canoe-ish like thing which had holes in it and wow <laughs> i thought maybe we would drown or something and mm-hmm. then we crossed over and the we waited there for the the cars to come the car that was going to pick us up and take us to my dad to come in um we had to duck down a couple times because we weren't sure if uh, those were, that was the car or if it was uh, cops or immigration and thankfully mm-hmm. uh they handed us over to my dad safely and then from there we uh, made the trip from texas all the way up to oregon in my dad's uh, white Datsun pickup. <laughs> and wow. her, uh, we were, my dad wanted to make sure that we, you know, we would be safe and all that in case we got stopped by uh, immigration or anything that they wouldn't see us. So we would stay, um, we stayed in the camper for that journey, which was about two and a half days. Two and a half days. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because Oregon to Texas is quite a, yeah, it's like cross country completely. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that was um, a big decision. And that was a, uh, we went to the US. We were there for two years. And then my mm-hmm. mom, I think, missed uh, Mexico, missed her family. So um, we went back to Mexico in 1992. Um, and by mm-hmm. then, uh, my, one of my younger brothers was born, so it was three of us now moving back. And mm-hmm. we were in Mexico until by then my parents had uh, filed for our residency as well. And fortunately, uh, in 1994, uh, we got a call that our we had our appointment at the border at Ciudad Juarez for, to see if we would get our residency. Mm-hmm. And yep, they granted us uh, the residency, and from then um, we didn't look back. We we didn't end up going back to Mexico. We uh, took a Greyhound bus from El Paso all the way up to Oregon once again. Wow! Yeah. So this time, this time completely legally and yes. through the right route. Yes, yes. My my parents had decided that we would if if it was meant to be if we were going to go back to the u.s it would always uh, it would be the the legal way mm-hmm. otherwise we would have ended up just staying in mexico and continuing our lives there but um the future had something else in mind so we made we got back. yeah we went back we made the u.s our second home and i Lived the rest of my childhood uh, in the U.S. I went to school there. 
and graduated from there, got my college degrees from there, and now I'm in India. Wow, quite quite an interesting story which you have. I mean, this this piece sounds like out of a film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could you could probably make a Bollywood movie out of it. <laughs> <laughs> true, so true. Yes. So, uh, like, once you migrated legally from the the Mexico to the U.S., uh, so uh, then you had your academic years in the U.S. Can you talk about your academic life? Um, in the US and how how different it was as an immigrant there wow uh yeah it was definitely um the first year i would probably say was very challenging because i didn't speak english so mm-hmm. i re- i just remember that i was in my third grade class i was uh, going into third grade so when the school started i went into third grade and there was a girl her name was emily and she spoke spanish and Mm -hmm. so we became friends because she she spoke spanish she understood me and she would help me uh, if i needed any translation and um thankfully at that time there was uh so the the town that we lived in in the u.s is uh ontario it's in Oregon and it's a it's a small city. It's only about 10,000 people. It's not very big. And it's an agriculture-based town. So uh, back in the day, there used to be a lot of migration from like people who lived in Texas would go up to Oregon to work in the field for the summer and then they would go back once the work was over. So there was mm-hmm. a lot of migration um, that would take place. So there was like a mig- migrant program that uh, was in the schools and that migrant program helped students who migrated or who were new to the school and Mm -hmm. fortunately i my brother and i got that help and we had a great uh, a teacher or sort of a support uh, teacher there that every can't remember if it was every day or every two days she would take us out of the classroom and she would uh, we, we would get to speak to her in Spanish and let her know if we were having any difficulties or anything like that uh, wow. so we got a lot of help and a lot of support um, I can't say enough of uh, the support that I I have had since um, in every stage of my life in uh, in elementary school in middle school and high school I've had a great support system from my teachers and from my, you know, support staff at, at every school that I went to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was tough because I had to learn a new language, but it, um, I learned it, as you can see. Um, so I, I became bilingual and that bilingualism, then I became the one who would uh, translate for new kids who would come from Mexico or um, who needed help and didn't understand English. So that's, I became a translator for, for kids as, uh, as I went on and became older and, um, as the years went by. Um, wow. yeah. And I remember I was sort of ahead of the students in, uh, in the U S for some reason. Like, um, I still say that, uh, the Mexican education system was farther ahead than the, the U S one at that time. I already knew my times tables when I moved and I knew division and the people and my classmates, they were just learning that. So they put me in a, a talented and gifted program as well, 
because I was far ahead in, uh, you know, in math and uh, they were like, you're, you already know all this stuff. You need to be learning new things. So you got the head start. <laughs> yeah, I did. Math and math, you don't really need a, a language, right? It's all numbers. Yeah. So, Correct. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I ended up, um, I moved schools a couple times, uh, elementary schools as well, because my parents bought a new house in a different part of town. So I had to end up, move, I had to move schools. Mm-hmm. And then I went on to middle school and, uh, like I said, I, I, I've been involved in sports. So I started getting involved in sports around fifth grade. Then in middle school, I played uh, basketball. I did track. And then in high school, I ended up playing uh, soccer and basketball. Um, so uh, my education in the U.S. also helped in terms of getting me involved with, with sports. Um, so that's a big emphasis that uh, the U.S. does at, at an early age. Yeah, Um See, I graduated salutatorian from my high school. Um, I got a scholarship. I was, uh, you know, I got a full ride scholarship to a university. And um, again, that was uh, in part to a lot of support that I had from my teachers and um, supportive staff at at the school. And of course, Mm -hmm. I, I was involved in quite a bit of clubs and I played sports, like I said. So I was always involved and um, active. Wow. Yeah, so and then I went on to uh, college and I did a four-year bachelor's degree at Willamette University in uh, international studies. Mm-hmm. And then I decided to do a MBA at the same school. I didn't take a break. They have an early, uh, it's called an early MBA where you don't need any work experience. Okay. And yeah, and that's where I met Amit. <laughs> wow, finally Amit there. Yeah. So uh, you were also talking about the trip you took uh, in between from college, you were going to the university. So in between, you took a trip to Ecuador, the backpacking trip. So how was it? Can you uh, tell if that changed anything uh, that gave you some new perspective about life uh, before moving to the university for MBA? Um, I think it was more of just my friend and I we just wanted to do something fun and adventurous and we were both you know girls and um we were both I don't know we just wanted to go somewhere and we chose Ecuador one because it was cheap and Mm -hmm. they used dollars there so we didn't have to convert any currency uh and they also spoke Spanish so that was easy for us and uh, we just yeah um there wasn't it was just a trip, you know, a celebratory trip that we've completed our four years at the university and uh, sort of before we get into another two years of school, we wanted to experience experience something different and a new culture and see a new part of the world. Um, I love traveling, so yeah. A little recreative and a little reset yes. before the next, yes. next phase. Yes. Wow, that's that's great. And then uh, in the first week, I think you met Amit there, right? Uh, in the MBA university, right? I did. Uh, I met him the first week. It was during our orientation time. We had, three, I think, three, three or four days of orientation. And um, it was on the way back from one of the activities. Uh, my roommate, roommate and I were walking back to our apartment. And... Um, 
then two guys were walking behind. We noticed that two guys were back in behind, were walking behind us, and they caught up with us and they started talking to us. And um, this was Amit and his roommate, Sumit. And mm-hmm. they thought that we were Indian. That's why they started talking to us. <laughs> oh, wow. They also, they also didn't make out the difference. Yeah. So they asked, that's the first thing that they asked us, you know, are you guys Indian? And then we were like, no, we are not. I told them that I was Mexican. And then uh, my roommate, she's half Mexican and half um, Salvadorian. So they're like, oh, but you guys look Indian. And we're, and that was actually my first uh, experience with um, the Indian culture or somebody from India. Um I had never met anybody from India before, and I think even in my university, I don't remember at the time that there was uh, that I had met any study abroad students from India. So that was my first encounter with India. Wow! Yeah, and that encounter is like <laughs> has gone a long way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It's uh, it changed my life completely. So, uh, okay, moving forward, uh, as you told me, you didn't have a smartphone as well until you moved to India. As right now, we cannot even imagine being without a smartphone in our day-to-day life. So how was your university experience without the smartphone? Well, uh, that, you know, I'm thankful that I didn't have a smartphone Um, until uh, now. I mean, now it's like, Everybody lives on the smartphone. We can't live without it. Yeah. It's kind of sad because I feel that a lot of the conversations or a lot of social interaction gets lost nowadays. Yeah. Physical in- physical interaction is so less that people are almost thinking that uh, while messaging on Facebook or probably Instagram, it makes you more interactive with people but the physical interaction is completely different yeah it's very different i mean at the so facebook actually launched in 2004 and that's when i Mm -hmm. started college that was my first year in college and i remember we were like oh my gosh what is this new thing and it was facebook and myspace and um, we we used it as um we would leave notes on each other's wall like, because back then there wasn't, uh, it was more of uh, IM messaging or um, MSN messaging, you know, uh, chat. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, that's the stuff that you used to do. Like, we used to chat on the computer, like, at night with our classmates and stuff. Yeah, there were chat rooms, I think, at that time in Yahoo chats, right? Yeah, so it was sort of limited. Like, you only did it whenever you were at a computer. It wasn't yeah. like you... You couldn't do it on your phone. On the phone, you could only do texting. You could only text someone or you call them. So it was somewhat limited. And when you were at a, say, at a social gathering, you weren't always like checking your phone or anything like that. It was you were more involved. You were more into what was happening around you. Now it's like, oh, my gosh, wait, let me take a picture of that. Or like, let me take a video or... um, let me post it on my Instagram story. Like, I feel like we uh, lose out on just uh, living in the moment. And instead, we want to capture it for everyone. So it's like we are living in the memories, not in the present. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Which is, uh, 
I mean, it's good to look back at memories and stuff, but living in the present, I think, is more important and something that definitely technology and having a smartphone has um, changed completely. And even within family dynamics, like uh, sometimes we sit for dinner and, um, you know, somebody's either checking their status or checking their email or checking, the, you know, their WhatsApp or we're always checking something. So do you do you guys on the dinner table or lunch table do you guys allow smartphones? We have a rule that we don't, but somebody always ends up breaking it. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is unfortunate. I think I was reading the other day uh, somebody had posted something. I saw it on social media, but it was like uh, we need to know what is important and when what is like an emergency. Right. So we should always, you know, nowadays we feel like every time somebody messages, we have to message them right away. Right. It feels like emergency. Yes. We can't, you know, let it, uh, we can't message them, you know, maybe an hour later or whenever you're free. Like say if I'm in having a lunch date, if somebody messages and it's, you know, you read it and it's not something that is critical or anything. You should just, you know, let it go and message them uh, later. But we were so um, now conditioned that whenever we receive a message, we have to reply. No matter yeah. if it's an emergency or not. So, um, I don't know. It's, it's a sort of a, something that I've, I've been trying to change. Like, I've been trying to do more of the things that I find important or wherever I get more... Um, you know, I think whenever I'm on Instagram or, you know, I'm literally, I'm probably just wasting time. And I think, and then I pause and I was like, am I, is this, uh, you know, is this adding value to my life or not? I asked myself that question. And when I ask myself that question, I say, okay, no, it's not adding any value at the moment. So I, you know, get off the phone and try to do something else that is more, that is going to add more value into my life, like reading a book. Reading a book, yeah. yeah, that 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 makes a whole lot sense to like stop. I I think I was watching a video some days back, and uh, the the guy was telling whenever I have the urge to uh, like do social media, check out my feed. At the moment, I always think like the way you are telling. So I'll I'll always open. I'll always redirect that energy to reading a book. Open my Kindle and start reading a book. That's how uh, like he told about that. So I think that makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. Yeah. So I'm going back to um, the original question. Is I think I'm grateful for the fact that I did not have a smartphone. Um, I think I was, I felt less, uh, you know, anxiety or um, I was more aware of the present than we are nowadays, I feel. Yeah. yeah. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. And moving forward, uh, how did you get introduced to veganism? Uh, how was your initial experience with veganism and uh, did you find it hard to adjust to it? Veganism. Definitely a big change again in my life. Uh, I grew up in non-veg family, Mexicans. I think you find very few vegetarians or vegans. Mm -hmm. 
And it was uh, back in 2008 when I was not introduced to veganism, but I was introduced to what am I eating? Or are you aware of, you know, the food that you're consuming? Um, and that is, uh, I, that's when I met Amit um, and we were dating and <laughs> he claims that he used to eat chicken nuggets and frozen food and stuff like that. But I never ate chicken nuggets. I never had chicken nuggets in my freezer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, he uh, put up a question and he said, do you know what you're eating? You know that that has like it has that animal has been slaughtered. It has uh, you probably it has been injected with so many hormones and all of this, and so that uh, that question really uh, intrigued me. And I started reading more about nutrition and where our, our food comes from. And I read um, In Defense of Food. That was the book that I, my first book on food that I read. And after that book my life completely changed. Like I, I gave up meat mm-hmm. and I became vegetarian. I couldn't give up cheese or <laughs> pizza or ice cream at the time. Um, I would just became more aware of, you know, what types of food am I putting in my body? Uh, is it processed food or is it live food that uh, you cook and you you know you need to the, the what the book said was you know you need to shop around the grocery store and stay out of the aisles because the aisles have all the processed food and all the fresh food is on the outside um so i made that decision to go vegetarian and i my family was a little shocked because like I said, I come from a non-veg family and they're like, what? You're not eating meat? I was like, no. <laughs> and they're like, so then what do you eat? I was like, Every, everything else that doesn't involve meat. <laughs> <laughs> so they were a little, you know, weirded out, I guess, or just uh, they found it a little bit odd that I decided not to eat meat. And then I, I've tried to explain to them throughout the years how, you know, eating meat is not that healthy and nowadays it's just process is no longer like um you know when we lived in mexico the the way that we raised the animals and you know you lived off of the land you lived off of what you had now it's more of industrialized uh farming and everything is done in mass scales and it's no it's no longer pure or um, organic or uh, and it's just done in a very uh very different manner so you know i've always i've tried to explain to them my reasoning behind um, going vegetarian now and now going vegan and um, they've accepted the fact that i'm vegan and um, my mom has (laughs) she knows that whenever i'm coming home she's like oh okay now i have to make the food this way because you're here so she still makes Mexican food for me, but we have veganized like almost every um, option. Every item. Yeah. 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 And then she also like, she was diagnosed with high cholesterol. So mm-hmm. she didn't want to go on statins or take any medication. So she also changed her diet completely. And this was way before I became vegetarian also. But like there was small changes that we had already made in, um, in our eating habits within within our home like we she didn't use as much oil um she had given up dairy milk 
Um, she ate a lot more salads and stuff like that. So now it's kind of a, a way of life that she had started. And now whenever I tell her to do something or she's very open to to my ideas, but she's not vegan or vegetarian. She still eats uh, meat every now and then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and did you did you find any difficulties in the initial time when you adapted to veganism after being vegetarian? So any physical problems you uh, encountered or something like that? Any deficiencies? Um, I like I didn't notice any major change. Uh, well, one major change that I did see was that I uh, lost some unwanted weight, uh, and now I can say that I've. I weigh the same that I've weighed for the last, I would say, 10 or 15 years. No, I wouldn't say 15 years, maybe like 12 years. Mm-hmm. I, I weigh the exact same. And I just fluctuate in the amount of uh, body fat and the amount of muscle depending on my running and, <laughs> uh, yeah. and Um But uh, that's one, major, one thing that I noticed is that I, I lost some fat, I would say after going vegan and vegetarian, more so when I went vegan. Um, and yes, I was def- I became deficient in vitamin B12 and also became deficient in vitamin D3. But thankfully now I'm, uh, I, I knew that I know the answer. <laughs> um, and I just got my levels tested yesterday and I am completely mm-hmm. healthy. My vitamin D is in a completely healthy um, level. I'm at 44, I believe. And mm-hmm. um, my vitamin B12 is a, just a little bit beyond the healthy. So I, I have to stop my vitamin B12 supplementation for now because uh-huh. my levels are good. Um, but my vitamin D3, I, I continue to take vitamin D3, um, Univets, G-Veg every day. Um, I take that because I, don't, I know I don't get enough sunlight. Right. So I, I know that it's a must for me to supplement. And that's not just for vegans. Everybody who works in a in an office or just doesn't step out and get some get some sunlight, you are probably going to be vitamin D3 deficient. Correct. Everyone who works in a corporate environment uh, or in office, of course, uh, we don't get to see sunlight too often. Yeah. And even um, like my mom, she because she lives in Oregon and, it, you know, they have a winter there. So they don't step outside in, during the winter. So she also becomes vitamin D3 deficient during those times. Like she'll tell, she'll tell me that, oh, my, my knee is paining. And I was like, have you been taking your vitamin D3? And she's like, no, no. And I was like, start taking. So, I, so I'll order her some <laughs> supplements. And then she'll start taking them. And then I'll speak to her like two weeks later. I was like, hey, how are you feeling? And she's like, yeah, my knee pain went away. I was like, yeah, you were, your vitamin D3 was probably low because you haven't been out in the sun. So, right. yeah. So that's in terms of deficiencies. Difficulties, you know, once I make up my mind to do something, I don't really think about the difficulties. I just, okay, this is my way of life and I will do anything in order for me to uh, make things work. Right. Yes, initially, like even in India, because veganism wasn't uh, very popular and, or mainstream like it is now, I didn't have any vegan ice cream here. <laughs> that is, That's a bummer. That was, I think the biggest difficulty I have encountered is <laughs> not being, uh, having accessibility to vegan ice cream. But now, um, 
just like within, uh, I think like the last three, four months, I've been eating so much vegan ice cream because we discovered this new brand and it's just so good that we can't stop eating it. <laughs> so yeah, I think uh, in regards to difficulties, I haven't really faced any um, deficiencies. Again, it's um, anybody, even those who are not uh, vegan, um, should always or should get a yearly if not six month um, lab test done to make sure that all their levels and every vitamin and everything is in a, in a healthy state. Um, and it's always good to be uh, proactive and have, yeah. have your health in control because we're the only ones who can make any changes or, you know, lose track of uh, whether or not we're healthy. We might feel healthy, but maybe something is lacking and we're not aware of it until we actually get those lab tests done. Yeah, I think uh, the health is the most important and critical aspect of our life. So every year, uh, like the preventive healthcare uh, does make a lot of sense in that manner. Almost oh, definitely. I, I'm a completely vouch for that. Um, I think prevention is always better than cure. Um, it's right. always better to be proactive and be on top of, on top of our game and yeah. instead of suffering later on and trying to combat things that are not needed. Right. I have one more question about veganism. So I also started uh, trying veganism uh, from last year in the, in the end of the year, I think December. So what I was struggling always, uh, the question which I was struggling always was, why am I doing it? Uh, so what is the meaning of veganism for you? Why uh, have you turned vegan? Uh, is it uh, just for the diet or is it um, mainly for the animal compassion which you have? What is your reason? Well, initially it was, for me, it was a more of a health reason. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to be healthy. I've always wanted, you know, I've always been active. And to me, like you said, health is probably the one of the, mo the most important things in our lives. Um, yeah. And I think sometimes we, we get veganism and plant-based diets mixed up. We use the same terminology. Uh, yeah. And it's not the same. Um, plant-based diets is, you know, you, you have cut out all the animal products and you don't consume any of that and you eat more whole foods and vegetables and fruits and all of that. But veganism is more of a way of life. It is a... Uh, like you said, it's compassion. It's compassion towards not just human beings, but towards uh, animals and everybody, everything around you. Living beings. Yes, living beings. And uh, to me now, I've uh, I've gone from going from a plant-based diet mentality to a vegan way. You know, I've become more compassionate towards uh, others, towards like you said, living things and. I'm more aware, I'm more mindful than I was before. And um, I, I try to instill this in uh, those who are not vegan. I don't try to push like, oh, you're not vegan or you're, you know, you should go vegan because of this. Or I think everybody has their own calling. And um, I think they eventually, those who do go vegan, um, something happens in their lives. Like recently, one of my really good friends, she was vegetarian for the longest time. And mm -hmm. she went on a trip to Thailand 
and she for some reason her experience at a elephant sanctuary just completely changed her life and she decided to go vegan wow um she is now vegan and now she's actually in thailand right now and she's uh she's working with a nonprofit, and they're working on this project to save elephants and you and it's just so amazing on how um, and I've never like pushed, you know, you're not vegan or, you know, I'm not going to hang out with you because you're not a, you're not vegan. Right. And I, like I said, I think, um, everybody has a purpose in life and some of the, some of us are here for one, one thing or another. And some of us are here to, um, sort of help others find their compassion in others. So I don't know. I don't know if I had anything to do with also with um, helping her um, see compassion, but she's always been a very compassionate person. So I don't see like her going vegan as something like I was like, oh, I think it, it would have happened eventually because you're a very compassionate person. Right. Then you find your calling eventually. Yes. Yeah. So uh, do you know the name of that uh, NGO which where she's working? I mean, uh, if we want to plug that in the show notes i will i will put that yeah. I just give me yeah. one moment I'll, <laughs> I'll have to look it up um they, I, they just started uh this um non-profit actually this foundation it's called the foundation it's never forget elephant foundation never forget elephant foundation yes Wow, they must be on social, so I'll I'll put the links in the show notes. Yes, yes, they they have a Instagram page, and um, I think she met some people when she was on her trip to in in Thailand, and they decided to come together and form this this foundation. So, wow, I think that's how the travel changes. You travel also plays an important part. Like she went to Thailand and she found this, and it completely changed her life. Yes, um, I think travel is a uh, for. For those of us who are, you know, that we have the opportunity, not everybody has the opportunity to travel, but for those of us who are lucky enough to do travel, I think it's probably one of the most amazing things that we're able to see new cultures and experience new things. And it just opens your mind completely. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. All right. So uh, as you are an ultra trail runner now, and you have run quite a lot of races and lately you have won uh, multiple races. So can you tell how it all started, the running and eventually the ultra running? Running. Wow. It's, <laughs> ah, now it's, it's a part of my life, another thing that is a part of my life. Uh, but I, I, it goes back to, I would say, 2010, 2011. Um, I've always ran to stay healthy or to stay in shape. I used to run one to two miles, one to two or three miles a day. Um, but it was nothing more than that. I never knew what a marathon was. I never knew what a half marathon was. And even more so, I never knew what ultra running was. Um, and then back in 2000, I think 10 or, or 11, I can't remember the date. Uh, I was living in Portland and my cousin, Juan, who's one of my close cousins, um he signed up for her to coast it was a it's a relay with his company and he's like i need a training partner otherwise i'm not going to be able to run this so he's like come on be my training partner and i was like really you want me to run with you <laughs> like i i had never ran more than three miles 
And he's like, we have to run five miles every other day. And I was like, that is so much. Like, how are we going to be able to do that? Like, I, it was just beyond me. Yeah. So we started and I started running with him. And uh, every day after work, we would, uh, he would come to my apartment. Not every day, every other day, he would come to my apartment. And he would change and then we would head out for a run, for a five-mile run. And I got hooked. We got hooked. And so I was like, he's running for something, for a purpose. He has a goal in mind. I'm not running for anything. I'm just running to support him, which is, you know, it is something. But I should be running for something. And I had a coworker who was also a runner. And one day we just started talking about running and he's like, yeah, you should sign up for a half marathon or something. I was like, Oh, what are half marathons? Like, what is the distance for that? And he's like, Oh, it's only 13 miles and it's not that much. I was like, 13 miles. That's (laughs) (laughs) how are you supposed to like run nonstop for 13 miles? And so I ended up doing my research. I went home and started researching. And I decided that we should sign up for a half marathon. So I uh, convinced my cousin that we should sign up for a half marathon. And we found one. Um, it was in, on July 4th. And it was we were not going to have work or anything. So we're like, oh, this is perfect. So I convinced him. We signed up for the half marathon. And then I was like, what is the next step? We need to have a training plan for it. So I went online and just found a, like, um, a beginner's half marathon training plan. And we started uh, using that training plan as a guideline. And we were doing all the uh, runs uh, based on the mileage that we had to do. And everything was going well. And then, again, something happened at my job, at my work, where they're like, you need the right running shoes. And all along, I'm like, I should be running the right running shoes anyway. Like I've ran in Nike freeze on like for the last three years. Why should I be concerned of what shoe I should be running in? And they're like, no, no, no. But you, there are based on your foot, based on whether you pronate or not pronate. And I was like, okay, if you say so. So they're like, yeah, you should go to um, a running specialty shop. And I was like, those exist. They're like, yes. So I looked at a, looked one up there was one uh walking distance from where i lived so i walked there and yeah they did a gait analysis and all of that and then they told me that i was the overpronator so they gave me a very um stability shoe like i went from running in a nike free to running in a very stable rigid shoe so can you can you uh, sorry to cut you can you explain what pronation is to the audience who might uh, not know who are non runners probably um i don't <laughs> to be honest i don't know the whole uh, you know scientific uh, or the science behind it but over pronation means like your your feet going go in when you're landing they don't mm-hmm. stay on a flat uh, surface or flattish Instead, they go inside, like they roll in, like your ankle will roll in a little bit. Right. I didn't know anything about it. I just went with whatever the sales girl was telling me. And I ended up buying the shoe. And the shoe was like $100. And I was like, oh, my God, like this is the most expensive shoe I have ever bought. In my mind, I was just thinking this better work. (laughs) (laughs) So... 
being a newbie to running, I didn't know that you're supposed to break your shoes in. And I decided that I would wear my new shoes on our third, like our 12 mile run, which is going to be the longest run for our training. Wow. I was so excited. I was showing off my shoes to my cousin. I was like, hey, look, I got some new shoes. I went to the running store and they hooked me up. And he's like, you're crazy. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, don't believe that crap. Like, and I was like, just wait. And yeah, just wait for me. For me to get injured that was like the thing that ended up happening um so like three miles into the run my foot started to pain and I was like oh it's probably nothing it's probably just a noodle and um I continued running and that pain kept um, getting uh, more painful and I was like mm, this is no good and at that time I had a mentality of no pain no gain I think a lot of us have <laughs> A lot of lot of amateurs, I think, have that mentality, no pain, no gain. Yeah, so I was like, you know, don't be a, a wimp. The last mile was just so painful that when we stopped, I couldn't even walk. Like, I couldn't put any pressure on that foot. So I knew that something was completely wrong. And I was just hoping that I, w- I would wake up the next day and everything would just be okay. Unfortunately, it wasn't. And I... Um, it didn't go away within a week or two weeks. And then it was only like one week before the marathon. And I was just so bummed that, may, that I wouldn't get the chance to run. So I went to a orthopedic and the orthopedic was just like, you know, there's really nothing that I can do. It's really nothing. You just have to rest it. That's it. And it will go and it'll be fine. But I, will, mm-hmm. but I told him that I had signed up for this half marathon that I really wanted to do. And he's like, well, I could either give you a cortisone shot or you just don't run the marathon. And I was just in that mentality, like I put so much time and effort into my training that I just wanted to run the race. So I ended up taking that cortisone shot and yeah, it did absolutely nothing. Um, that pain was still there and I just took the call that I wouldn't run the marathon. So my cousin ended up running by himself. I was there and cheered him on. But I was really mm-hmm. bummed that, you know, I had trained so hard and I didn't end up running. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so I think this is this is the second incident of a 4th of July thing. So initially <laughs> the immigration, illegal immigration happened on 4th of July and then this first marathon attempt. Yep. And yeah, and then I was, I basically went on a, like a two month sabbatical from running or exercising because I couldn't put any weight on my foot. And then I think around, I, so I moved to India in 2012, October of 2012. And, um, I think I sort of, after that, I think we would just run like five miles just because we wanted to, we didn't really, we didn't really sign up for anything else. It just kind of became a a habit, a way of life that we would run every every other day, five miles. Um, and then I moved here, and it really um, took a while for me to get used to running in India. Um, yeah. Initially, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just run after work like, like I used to do in the U.S. And I tried mm-hmm. it a few times, but 
Yeah, it didn't quite work out that well. There's just too many people. You're, there's too many cars. Too much honking that goes on in the afternoon. Too much traffic and too many, too many people trying to go everywhere. Yeah. So I immediately like I was like, yeah, this is not gonna work. Um, and then instead of running, we Ahmed Ahmed was a big gym guy, so he go he used to go to the gym a lot. He yeah. wasn't into running then. I started going to the gym with him, and I would run on the treadmill, but it was only, again, like, three miles or something, or half an hour or something like that. And then um, we ended up moving to Pavai for, uh, I think, for almost a year. And in the complex that we used to live in, there were runners that we met. And Ahmed was like, he knew that I liked to run, so he's like, why don't you join their club or their group? And we asked them what time they used to go running, and they're like, five in the morning. <laughs> wow. And I was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. I am not waking up that early to go for a run. And I didn't end up joining their group because back then I considered myself not a morning person. The earliest I would wake up was like 5.45 to go to the gym at 6. And I was like, I'm not waking up any earlier than that. And... <laughs> That happened for, you know, I, we gym for a while. And then I, in 2014, um, running sort of came into both Ahmed and I's life. And so then I had a running buddy. Um, so, and then that's when we launched uh, our line of run products at Univet as well. And we yeah. started, uh, we got introduced to the running community in India and, that completely changed our life. Uh, running just became part of our life. And we signed up for our first half marathon. We signed up for Oroville. And that was in 2015. And uh, we did a 10K prior to that in Chennai, where I came in first place. Wow. I, I didn't expect to come first. That was just something that ended up happening. Um, so that that was your first 10k run in India. Yes. I mean, as a race. A race, yeah, in general. Wow. So, yeah, and then um, then we ran the Oroville half marathon in February, and that was first trail run, and that really got us hooked onto trail running. Mm -hmm. Ahmed, I think, started doing a lot more research on trail running and ultra then ultra running, and then. Um, in 2016, I think, it was, I think, uh, December 31st, we decided mm -hmm. to go on our first trail run in India. Wow. We, it was basically a lot of bushwhacking and not really trail running, but mm -hmm. that was our first trail run. Before that, we had gone to uh, Kalavantin with Kuntal Joysher. Kuntal Joysher. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He had taken us to... Uh, Calavantin. So we had done uh, some treks before, and uh, I love trekking. That's another thing that I love. Um, and now with tail running, it's almost the same thing. But uh, that was uh, we did first a few treks, and then we got into trail running. But and then we decided to do the trail run in on December thirty first, and then we did another run on the first, and then we found um, somebody else and. Bombay that liked uh, trail running and we sort of connected on Facebook 
And he's like, yeah, I, um, I run here at in Lund, uh, at the, what is it called? There's those, uh, that hill behind, Yogi Hills. Yogi Hills. Yogi Hills in Mulund. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Amit also mentioned the same while I was talking to him yeah, earlier. Yeah. So, um, Rahul, uh, he's the one who introduced us to Yogi Hills. So we went and ran with them uh, a few times there. And then uh, we went on, we decided to go back to Kalabantan. So that's the other place that we knew. And we invited yeah. him and then he invited Ishan, which is uh, another good friend of ours now. And yeah. that's where it all started. That's where uh, trail running for us started. And we've not looked back since. And uh, we've done quite a few runs. And we actually just ran in the Philippines. Uh, we ran the Cordillera Mountain Ultra. And, yeah, that was a beautiful, beautiful race. If anybody want, ever is in the Philippines or wants to travel to the Philippines, that's a great race to, to look up. Um, mm -hmm. Did a 50k there, and yeah, it's trail running is something that once you start, you can't really stop. <laughs> yeah, it it's addictive kind of. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and then we did Jabadu Hills um, in 2016. That was our first both uh, actual like trail trail race. Mm -hmm. From the 21k that we did uh, in Oroville, we did the 25k there. And that's when, like, trail running was also very, very small in India. It's a little bit bigger now, but back then it was just very, very small. And we made lots of great friends there, and which we keep seeing um, every time we go to any of these uh, trail runs in India. We, you know, we run into them, and it's always really nice to see them and catch up. So it's, it's brought in a lot of new, new friends. Oh, wow. And uh, not a lot of women uh, run in trails. So I think you started a trend and then you have started this trail club as well for uh, uh, for the ladies, I think. Trail Chica Club, right? Yeah, which I sort of <laughs> haven't had time to, to put much effort into it. But um, yeah, it, back then I think there were like four of us who ran that Javadu race. And it's it's so nice to see that now there's a lot more women that are signing up for the ultras or for trail running. Um, and I think it's only going to get uh, bigger. I think I won't say that trail running is for everyone because it's not. Um, it is a lot of you have to struggle and you have to be very strong and you have to be open to, you know, like all types of conditions and you have to rough it out and if you're not willing to rough it out then like ultra running or trail running is not meant for you and um, you, it is a lot of work it's a lot of climbing so that's another thing that many uh, like some road runners might not be used to because you don't do a lot of uh, uh, yeah road runners are always running on the flats so there is no uh, variation of uh, the surface which which is there in the trail runs you have to run mountains and you you got to be very welcoming uh, uh, to the mountains because they are completely different from the road races, right? Yes, yes. You just have to be always aware and uh, be, uh, you know, respect the respect the mountains. Uh, be, right. Uh, it's a very different way of running. And, but the great thing is that, you know, you're running in nature and you sort of forget. You forget about everything and you just kind of take everything in and, 
Like whenever we go to our training runs and like say Tungareshwar, it's only about about an hour away from Bombay. And when you're running and climbing up the hill, like you forget that you're even in India or you can be anywhere in the world. And because everything around you is just nature. You just hear the song, um, the songs of the birds. Um, you hear the monkeys. There are monkeys there. Yeah. Um, it's just, I don't know. To me, it's a way to get away from the city and sort of reset. And um, sometimes the city is just always go, go, go. Yeah, it's over- overwhelming sometimes. Yeah. And when you head out to the trails, you're sometimes you're alone. There's nobody around you. So just imagine, like, in Bombay, you're always, somebody's almost always there. Right. You're never really alone. And when you're on the trail, there will be times when you're just completely alone. And that is, I don't know, I think that is one of the moments where you just, um, you know, you do a lot of introspecting and you reflect and uh, you really understand, you know, what you're capable of. And you're like, wow, am I really doing this? Like, am I really capable of running, like, this distance or climbing this mountain? It's just amazing, like, when you put your mind into something and you do all the training and that you're capable of many things. So I think it almost uh, uh, comes close to meditation as it can be. Yeah, it can be very meditative, yes. Mm -hmm. And going back a little bit... uh, when when you decided to move to India finally, uh, so were your parents supportive in your decision at that time? <laughs> well, um, yeah, yes and no. Like when they found out that I was dating somebody who was not Mexican, <laughs> that was another. That was a, the first shock because they're you know they're a very traditional family and. Um, I think they always thought that I would end up marrying somebody from Mexico or who spoke Spanish or um, or Latino or something. They, and then when I, you know, found out that I was dating somebody from India, they were like, India, like, they're very different. They have a completely different culture. You know, how are things going to work? And it took a lot of just like, me telling them about why I've become vegan, you know, I had to sit down and, you know, talk to them about why I've decided to date this person and why it's, you know, it's not, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't matter uh, the race or the color or the religion or the place that you're from if you love somebody. And, so true. And, um, and I think for them it was more because they were, They've never met any, like, I had never met anyone from India. They had never met anyone from India. And so it was something new to them. So it was more of them, you know, becoming more open and seeing that, you know, we're all human at the end of the day. And that's what matters. It's it's a connection that you make with each other rather than paying attention to the differences that there might be. Let's look at what we have in common. And um, yeah, so uh, they became, they were open to me dating him and stuff. And, but then when they did, <laughs> when it came to me telling them that I was, you know, moving, that was a shock. But 
they were very supportive. They're like, if that's a decision that you that you've made, we'll support you. And you know, you always have a home here. So if anything happens, you can always come back here. And oh, wow. um, I think they've they've realized that I'm I don't know not a traditional Mexican girl or the way that things were used, were done back in the day or you know I'm a little bit more um, adventurous or don't follow the the traditional lines like I, like I left my house when I graduated from high school I went on to college I moved away that was when I moved away from um, from their home and and you are you are also the first person as you told me yeah. you and your family to go to college right yes I'm the only girl in the family or the only daughter. So in the, in usually Mexican families, you don't leave your home until you get married. <laughs> <laughs> I jumped the gun and I left way before I got married. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, but they've always known that I'm a very indep independent person and they've never pushed back on that. Um, and they've always been supportive and they've always supported all my craziness <laughs> like even I don't think they support my trail running much because um whenever I tell my mom I'm running like 50 kilometers or any longer distance she tells me I'm crazy and that I shouldn't be running that much that it's bad for me mm -hmm. so so I'll <laughs> tell them after the, the race is done that I ran this um <laughs> so but yeah um I think I think no matter what, uh, a parent is always worried, or they're all, they always just want the best for you. And, yeah. Um, but I'm grateful to have a very supportive, to have very supportive parents because I know that many don't, and that's, that yeah. makes a huge difference um, when you don't have that support system and you feel like uh, you can't achieve what you want to achieve because there's always something holding you back. And then you're always afraid whether you know with whether you challenge that, and then um, something bad happens, or you know, it's always a very uh, tight line that you're you're uh, walking on. So it's always a better thing to have a parent support, and um, it just makes things a lot more easier. Yeah, that's that's totally a blessing to have a supportive family. I think. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as you've seen, uh, both side of the coin, uh, meaning you have had a nine to five full-time job at a company in the US after you graduated. And then uh, you moved to India now, uh, uh, many years back. So uh, how that experience is different um, in your experience, uh, the, the full-time nine to five job and uh, running your own business um, along with Amit here? very different uh back then it was you know you work from nine to five or eight to five and you go home and i mean sometimes i did do a little bit of work outside of office but there wasn't so much and it was you didn't really have to worry it was like okay as long as i get my work done you know i i'll continue to have my job and hopefully um, i'll get a raise and i'll move up or i'll find something better um, but running your own business is definitely a lot more challenging 
It takes a lot of time, sacrifices, uh, but it's really rewarding. It's definitely, I think it's, I wouldn't change it. I think I am, I'm blessed to have the opportunity to um, be in the position that I am with Amit um, because I get to get my hands dirty with a lot of things in the company that if I were, if I was working at a nine to five job, you're just, you know, you only have your job to do. You really don't get exposed to other parts of the business. True. And running your own business, you have to be aware of everything and you learn so much more and it just opens your eyes to a lot, many other aspects of, of the business and how business works. And it is a lot of work. Like I, the first few years we were working seven days a week and I think we still work seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're working all the time. Like when you are an entrepreneur. Yeah. Even like today I was doing work in the morning and I was taking a break from cleaning and doing some work on the computer. Uh, but it also, it's also uh, very rewarding and uh, you get to do a lot of uh, work and play sort of things. Like we get to run with runners and meet new runners. Uh, and yeah, so it's, it's fun as well. Um, so you the, are able to, you are, you are able to uh, convert your passion into the profession. So it, it makes a whole lot more sense, I think. Yes, yes, yes. I think so. Um, it doesn't feel like work. <laughs> even though sometimes I'm tired but it just doesn't feel like work it feels like you know I'm doing this because I you know I love it and um, I love what I do and I think it's and with anything else there are days where you are tired and you're fatigued and you need a break but uh, it's definitely I would I wouldn't change it I mm-hmm. think if if I had the opportunity to go back to a nine to five job I think it would be very hard for me to do that and how's the uh, difference uh, in India and the US in the corporate culture? I mean, if, even if you are uh, working as an entrepreneur here, but uh, the corporate culture almost always stays the same, right? You are still working in an office. And yeah. so how does that, that, how is that different from the US in India? Um, I think in the US, it's a lot more uh, fast paced. <laughs> Mm-hmm. you have to get things done. And I think that's one thing that I've sort of come to terms with in India is that sometimes things don't end up the, the way that you think they'll end up or they'll take longer than what you anticipated. Um, there are just a lot more loopholes or a lot more follow-up, stuff like that. Um, then in the, in the U.S., I feel like people are a little bit more... Um, they, they hold themselves more accountable. Like uh, more transparent and more, more accountable. Yes. Here, it's, sometimes I feel like you have to keep pushing people. Uh, and there it's, you know, you, I think it's just because that is the way that uh, the U.S. culture is. You know, you're more of a, it's more of an independent culture where you have to get things done for yourself. And here it's more of a community culture where you're sort of... When you are pushed to do it, then you will do it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. right. 
Yeah. All right. And and um, one more thing I wanted to like uh, talk about with you. Uh, so as you have seen uh, Unived coming from um, a place where you were selling uh, your products offline uh, in the retail stores, and now finally you um, came online after Amazon come. So so how did your strategy shift uh, from that time when you were selling offline to uh, now online? Uh, well, one, I mean, um, you know, it's different when you're selling on online. I think it's, uh, it's still a lot of work. Um, you, you have to become very, um, efficient and you have to pay attention to, especially deliveries. Uh, that's a big, big factor or a big, uh, big point that, uh, when you're an online company, uh, delivery is a major part of part of the business and you want to make sure that you're keeping your customers happy uh, and you know uh, offline you you just sell it to the to the store and they're the ones who are responsible to getting it to the end consumer so you're really not involved in that um you're really not involved with the end consumer you're more involved with the uh store manager or the store owner and when you're online you're involved with the customer from the beginning to the end so it's i think i think it's a lot more customer centric um so i think that's one thing that uh, as unived uh, our customers are very important to us and that's something that um, we hold very uh, dear and uh, we always try to do what is right for the customer right i think as per my experiences as well Unived has always been uh, like a, an organic company uh, which grew slowly but uh, they hold their values very dearly as you rightly said. So uh, yeah. the first time I bought my product from your company I think we, we were not knowing that much each other and yeah. you wrote a note I still remember uh, I, I think I bought a uh, running gel or something so it came in a box and there was a there was a note handwritten written by you i think <laughs> so that was a that was a great uh, way to showcase how you care about the customers yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and one thing that you said um i think um, being true to your values and that's something that we also uh, you know that's something that we will never compromise on uh, like many of uh, many customers call us and they ask you know why are why don't you sell whey protein or why don't you sell these other uh, supplements that are not uh, vegan? And we're like, that's not us. Like that's, we are not here. Uh, that's not what we're here for. Like we are a vegan company and uh, we will always be a vegan company. Um, we will I, think not that, I think that's what uh, sets you apart from the other companies as well. That's a USP, I think. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. So moving on to uh, a little bit more personal side of you. So how did how do you guys balance uh, your married life with the enormous task of building this company, which is Unived, and also being vegan uh, at the same time? Well, it's um, I don't think it's very difficult. I think as long as you have a very, I mean, if you're supportive of each other and um, Sometimes we, because we are with each other, like almost 24 seven, like we run together, um, we go to work together. 
and we come back together. So we're always together. But every now and then, like, even if it's just, like, me being in a different room or he's in a different room or I'm reading a book and he's doing something else, um, it's always, you know, making some time for each other's uh, space. Or uh, if I if he likes to uh, <laughs> work, like, I'm just a workaholic. And <laughs> I give him, like, I, I know that that's, that's him. And in the meantime, I'll either be, I'll either clean, I like to clean, um, I'll read a book, um, I'll be doing something else, and I'll, I'll give him his space. And being vegan, and it's just because vegan is who we are, it's very easy for us to sort of uh, translate that into our work. Uh, yeah, um, I don't, I think it's, yeah, I don't know, a lot of communication, and like I said, I think it's uh, knowing uh, knowing each other and knowing that each person also needs uh, each other's space and when to give that space to each other. And running, I mean, even though we do run together, a lot of what I see is that some people who run in, like, running groups, they talk to each other when they're running. Right. And Austin and I do not talk at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. That that's a personal choice, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's also like our own time for each other. Like, even though we're running together, we're uh, accompanying each other, but it's our time. Like, I'm running through ideas in my head or thinking about something, and I'm sure he's thinking about something completely different. And so it's a time that even though we share, we share it physically, but we don't share it mentally. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's so, so important, I think, to. Uh, have personal space uh, like when you are in this kind of relationship where you are always together all the time so th that that is very important and I think as you guys share uh, too many passions also with each other like running and uh, veganism so I think it becomes more organic uh, automatically yes yes mm -hmm. that's one thing like my mom says like she's like you guys just like like everything the same <laughs> and I'm like, well, and that makes it a lot easier. And I was like, yes, it is a lot easier because if, say, for example, if I didn't like to run, right, then it, you know, we wouldn't share that commonality, or I wouldn't understand why he has to wake up at three in the morning on a Sunday and right, go to right. the mountains. <laughs> I think I would be like eating his head off, like telling him, why are you waking me up so early, right, just to right. go running. Um, but because we do share that same passion, like it's very easy to, you know, just go with each other and go with the flow. Like you said, it's more of an organic way of, uh, building things and things just happen. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, some quick questions to ask you about your routine and everything. So, uh, can you share a little bit about your day? How does your typical day look like? How, if it's, well, I think pretty much every day, but I usually wake up uh, between 5.30 and 6, um, mm -hmm. if not earlier, depending if we're going for a longer run. And then from 6 to 7, it's usually uh, a run, or right now, because I'm injured, I'm doing um, strength work at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from seven to eight is the, it's where I have to fit in making breakfast uh, or packing breakfast, packing our lunch, 
um, what else? Uh, making smoothies, throwing <laughs> snacks, um, showering, and doing then, the daily rituals probably. Yep, and that's yeah, yeah, yeah. done within an hour. So from seven to eight, that's what I do. Um, and then, then we head to office. So we get to office by eight thirty. Um, early morning, there's not much traffic, so we're able to reach there fairly, fairly fast. And then we're in offers from 8.30 to 5, for the most part, or a little bit later, depending on the work. Um, then we come back. Um, we get home maybe around 6, 6.10. Um, we just kind of do nothing for maybe half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's more important. Yeah, we just kind of put our bags away and um, just kind of do nothing. And then it's dinner time. We try to eat dinner between 7 and 7.30, if not sooner sometimes. Uh, and then, you know, wrap up. And we're probably in bed, if not by 8, 8.30 at the latest. And we're probably fast asleep by 9 and up again early. So that's, that's our routine. That's how it goes. <laughs> wow. That, from, from a normal Indian, I think uh, routine, it's completely different <laughs> because you have to get up uh, so early as well. So I think most people don't. <laughs> yeah, no, I think um, a lot of people say we're pretty abnormal that we wake up so, we wake up so early and we wake uh, or go to bed really early. Like sometimes like uh, we've a couple of times we've been heading out for a run like at five in the morning like on Sundays, especially for a long run. And we would, we run into uh, Ahmed's college friends and they're, they're just heading back from a party. <laughs> <laughs> so they're just heading home and we're heading for a run. So it's a very different, uh, you know, lifestyle. They're out partying and going to bed at five in the morning, six in the morning. And we're heading for a run at that time. So it's so, mm -hmm. so have yeah, you been have you been a party person any time in your life or I mean was it always like this way? No, I think there was a little bit of the partying in college. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. when you're in college and you're living away from home, um, you know you you don't have to tell your mom you you have to come back at uh, nine in, nine at night. You come home whenever you want. So. Uh, uh, yeah, so college, I would say, were my party years. Now it's, I don't know, I don't enjoy it that much anymore. Like, I do like to, like, have a drink every now and then and socialize, but I can't stay up late. I, I'm falling asleep by, like, 10 or 11. At, at the latest, 11 is, like, max. Max out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. And and what kind of uh, exercise routine you are following at, at the moment? Uh, I mean, being a runner and ultra runner. So, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a little bit injured at the moment. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yes. So right now it's uh, mainly strength training or uh, agility work. Um, so a lot of core work, um, a lot of uh, body weight work. And just, I just go for a walk. I, I can't run, so I try to walk maybe at least half an hour. And then half an hour will be the other stuff just to get some cardio in. Um, other than, 
apart from that, if I'm running and I'm, you know, I'm training for something, then it's a, of course, running and some days are hill reps, some days are tempo runs, some days are slow runs, and then our long runs on the weekends. And, and if we're training for a trail run, we definitely have to hit the trails on the weekends because you need that time on trails for training. Um, and then squeeze in some strength training. Sometimes we sort of forget that, and which is not good. But injuries happen. Um, but um, that's basically most of the in gym every now and then. Like now that monsoon is going to come, sometimes we use the gym a little bit more. But we don't go to the gym that often. And uh, moving forward, what are you looking forward to? Any new challenges or any new goals uh, for the foreseeable future? Um, I definitely will. Of course, I want to continue my trail running. Um, I want to at least maybe down the road do like a 100 miler. But right now I'm focusing more on 50 kilometers. Uh, and I would love to take up a little bit more of the other hobbies that I that I like to do, which I haven't really done, like photography, reading more, um, drawing. Uh, these are some things that are things that I want to do, which I need to make more time for. Uh, and then, I don't know, down the road, I definitely would like to do uh, more of a, something that makes more of a connection with, with a person or like helping that person like on more on a personal level like i get to see them uh, even though that's i'm doing that with univet but some, sometimes like you don't get to see the customer unless you run into them at the at an event or something right so helping people out uh, in yeah. more personal ways yeah yes yeah. Mm -hmm. and any book you would like to recommend which changed your life in some way well uh in defense of food change the way that I ate. Uh, mm -hmm. So something that I think if somebody is a, at a stage where they're considering changing their eating habits, um, wanting to eat more whole foods, that's something that, that's a book that they can start off with. Mm -hmm. um, oh man, books. I don't know. Uh, I love to read. And I right now I'm reading Becoming by Michelle Obama. And mm -hmm. It's a great read, so I recommend I'll recommend it to anybody who is uh, sort of you. It's it's been quite interesting to read about her life and how she's been able to manage being a, a wife, a mother, and a wife to a president, yeah. uh, and just managing that role and going about things. Um, so somebody who maybe wants to or you know, wants an insight of how to be, how to, you know, juggle things a little bit better. Or even though, you know, somebody who was the, was the first lady of the U.S., they're in a way very similar to us. Like, there's really not much difference. Like, they, they're also mothers. They also have to juggle, you know, taking their kids to school or their school activities. Um, it's a great read, so I would definitely recommend that. Um, mm -hmm. All right. And uh, a few more questions, then I think we can wrap up. Mm -hmm. uh, can you name a person who has had a big impact on your life, maybe a mentor? Um, and how did they impact your life? Oh, that's just tough. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, there's been, I think, 
mentors in every stage of my life uh, that has that have impacted me at that moment or at that time that I where they've been that they've been a mentor to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can't really name one person. The only two people that I can name that have, of course, uh, been my my heroes, and they they're the ones who pushed me to be where I am right now. And I don't think I would be any, wouldn't be the person that I am without them. And that's uh, my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think to an extent, like I said, everyone who has been in my life at one point or another have made an influence and have played a role in who I am today. So I can't name one person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think your mom and dad have been a constant support to you and mentors. And I think every phase had a different mentor. That's what you're saying. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, moving on, some quick interesting questions. Uh, what advice would you give to your own younger self, maybe uh, 20 years old, Monica? Not to be so lazy. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I, I would have... Um... I wish I would have taken up like trekking and hiking at a much younger age. Mm-hmm. I think I, I would have liked to have gone on treks and be more outdoorsy, like trail running and all of this at a much younger age. Earlier in the age, right. Mm-hmm. And uh, what under 5,000 rupees purchase you have made recently, which might have made your life a little better? <laughs> We renovated our kitchen, so I purchased, um, let's see, what did I purchase that has made our kitchen more user-friendly? More functional. More functional, yeah. Oh, I purchased a mat for the dishes. A mat for the dishes? Yeah, something like that. Wow. Yeah, I haven't, like... I purchased quite a few things for, like I said, for the kitchen. I can't remember what else I, and the only things I purchase are either food items. Mm-hmm. Like I purchased stuff. I like to make granola at home. So I purchased stuff for granola. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like I said, right now I purchased uh, a lot of new things for the, for the kitchen, which um, like jars to put stuff in and mm-hmm. just to organize things a little bit more. So tidying up is your forte. So you are a little <laughs> bit more uh, conscious about that, I think. So so mats for the dishes, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. And I think uh, we are uh, heading towards the wrap-up. So any parting words to the audience which you want to say? Be in the present. I think uh, that's one thing, even just now that uh, we've had this conversation, I think it's one thing that I've sort of reflected on is that um, we need to live life at present, not in, like you were saying, in memories and mm-hmm. uh, being more mindful and uh, doing things that are important, not things that, you know, they're not so important and that sometimes, you know, life is so short that sometimes we look back and say, oh, I wish I would have done that, but I didn't. The regret. So just uh, living life in the present, taking risks, taking challenges, um, you know, doing things that are outside of your comfort zone. Um, Like, for example, I moved to India. Never, like, if I look back and 
you know, if when I was in college or where I never thought I would have moved to India, like never, I wouldn't, had never dreamt of that. Or I never thought I would move to the U.S. So it's, you know, life is, you know, take life as it comes and adapt to it and be open to new things. And I think that's one important thing for, and be open to, to change. Uh, and I think if you do these things, life is much sweeter. Um, we're not so grumpy or we're like, oh, I wish it was that way. Or we're not dwelling on things. I think if we take things as they come and, you know, we just uh, move forward and, you know, be happy at where we are and work towards where we want to be. I think that's... Yeah, take take life as it comes and then let it mold you. Yes. Wow, that's, that's amazing advice. <laughs> <laughs> so it was great talking to you, Monica. Uh, where can people reach you if, uh, if they want to on the socials? Uh, you can plug some handles if you want. Yeah. Yes, so they can reach me on Instagram. Um, it's uh, M-O-N-B-C-R-I-L. Or on Facebook, you just search for my name, Monica Becerril Valde. Um, or you can go on Unived and <laughs> fill out the contact form and say, I'm looking for Monica. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great way. <laughs> so that's much easier. So www.unived.in. You can reach me or you can check out great vegan products that, that we make. Great products, great vegan products. I can vouch for that. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So, I all the good stuff and all these links uh, I'll put in the show notes of this episode. Thanks, Monica, for the uh, time, for this wonderful conversation. No, thank you once again, Himanshu, for having me. It's been a pleasure. I enjoyed every bit of it. And... Again, thank you so much. I thank you for allowing me to share my story. Something new for me. And thank you for thinking about me too. And hopefully when people listen to this, they'll they'll get to know me a little bit more. And if you want to find out more things and just look me up on the socials or like I said, um, ping me or go to Univet and <laughs> ask for me. Mm-hmm. Glad to have you. And thanks again. Thank you, Himanshu. Hey guys, this is Himanshu again. Now, before you move on, here's something I want to share with you. I have one weekly newsletter which is called Saturday Pentacle. You can think of it as a weekly one-page magazine for the curious minds where you'll find five awesome things which I've been pondering on in the last week. It may contain popular articles, blogs, photographs, Instagram posts, books, videos, products, or thoughts. It's completely free. If you want to get it, just go to himanshusasdeva.com That's my name, himanshusasdeva.com and drop in your email. You'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoy it and thank you for listening.